Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Lily Allen Duenas. Together, we'll talk about the world of yoga and we'll talk to people from around the world. Join us for authentic conversations about the global yoga ecosystem, and we'll cover yoga philosophies and methodologies along the way. Inhale, exhale. We're about to dive in. Namaste, family. Welcome back to this episode of the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. I'm so excited that you joined me today. And on the show with me is Shannon Crow. She is a yoga teacher from Canada. And she is also the host of the Connected Yoga Teacher podcast, which is one of my favorite yoga podcasts out there. Make sure you check it out. And she's also a consultant for yoga teachers. She shares what she has learned and continues to learn as a yoga entrepreneur. She became a yoga teacher in 2006 and continues to teach weekly group and private classes in Owen Sound, Ontario, with a specialty in yoga for pelvic health. And she's also the co-founder of Mama Nurture Prenatal Yoga School, and she developed the Yoga for Pelvic Health Teacher Training. So thank you so much, Shannon, for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me here. I am so excited. Me too. And I would love to borrow your question from your podcast to field it back at you. So Shannon, what do you do and why do you do it? Oh my goodness. Thank you for asking this. So right now I have two hats that I wear um, that are work-related. So I have the Connected Yoga Teacher podcast, as you said, and I also founded Pelvic Health Professionals. That's a group where people who are working with any individuals who have a pelvis come together and talk about the latest information, the most current and up-to-date information about pelvic health, because it's something that gets skipped over a lot uh, in yoga teacher trainings, also in PT school, even for our medical doctors, it gets skipped over. So that's, that's been a growing passion of mine. And then in my spare time, I'm a mom of three. Uh, I like to hike. I love to garden. I love to be outside. It's a struggle for me when it really starts to snow up here in Canada, but I uh, try and get out every single day when it starts snowing. That makes it a little bit easier for me to cope with. Absolutely. Snow is a challenge. (laughs) I lived in Iowa for about seven years and I was born and raised in California. So um, I know that that snowy life, it could be rough. It can be rough. And I've found like when the pandemic hit and because usually I will travel and go away for the winter when the pandemic hit, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to make this work. Like I'm just going to have to ski more, walk more outside. Uh, And I made this deal with myself that I would go outside every single day, (laughs) even if it was just for five minutes in a blizzard. And uh, I started posting about it on my Instagram account. And a lot of people have said that it really has motivated them to also get outside. So it's been fun. Beautiful. Yeah, it is important just to have a little bit of fresh air every day, even if it's like negative 10 and crazy winds and you don't want to be out there, but but you know, it's good for you. Um, but I'm glad Shannon, you mentioned, of course, you know, during my first question, 
about pelvic health, um, you mentioned the pelvic region is often, you know, overlooked and ignored, or it's even shamed. So what are some of the most important things yoga practitioners or people in general should know about pelvic health and yoga? Well, I think that's the biggest thing is that knowing, okay, you're not getting all of the information because, you know, I've had yoga students in my class or in my workshops tell me, like when we go to palpate the pelvic floor, which you can completely do, uh, to tell me, oh, I was taught to never touch myself down here. Or, uh, you know, my family never talked about pelvic anatomy. And I think it's really wild that this, this also trickles into our medical professional training, uh, our yoga teacher training, because you think how in depth we go in anatomy in yoga teacher training. Like we're learning all the bones, all the different muscles, how they work, like so many things about the body. And yet we're not learning how the pelvic floor works or that the pelvic floor and the diaphragm move together. Like some really basic things we're missing. And I realized this. So I birthed three babies, you know, tried to read all kinds of books about birth taught prenatal yoga for years, taught a prenatal yoga teacher training. And it wasn't until we hired a pelvic health PT. So a physiotherapist here in Canada, a physical therapist in other places in the world. Uh, we hired one to come in for three hours. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. So our yoga students who are walking in, whether they've had babies or not, that's the other thing to know about this. <laughs> It doesn't matter if you're what gender you are, what age you are, and if you've birthed babies. You have a pelvis, you have a pelvic floor. We all have the basic pelvic anatomy with some differences and variations. And that can be gender differences, but also just differences in variation because we're human. We're all born different. And I think that was the biggest thing to realize, wow, these pelvic health issues are actually impacting a huge number of our yoga students. So I taught a yoga class once. We talked a little bit in the yoga class about your bladder, urinary incontinence, uh, so leaking urine. And I was just learning all of these new things and I wanted to share it with this yoga class. And I had some cards up at the front and I said, you know, if you're dealing with any of this, make sure you go and see a pelvic health PT. I've brought some cards with me today and like half the class came up and took a card. Now, I don't know if they just wanted to pass it on to a friend, but we know that urinary incontinence statistically affects one in four women, one in nine men. And I think it's actually much higher than that at some point in their life. So these are issues that you don't hear about all the time. You know, someone might tell you, oh, uh, I have to be careful in my yoga class because I have a bad knee. They're not necessarily coming up to the front of the room and telling you, mm, I have some bladder issues and I can't do certain things or I leak urine or I wear a pad because I leak urine. And what I realized is uh, probably from talking to many of the pelvic health PTs I started to work with is that as a yoga teacher, I could reach a large group of people with this information 
they could learn about their pelvic health and then they could decide, okay, do I need to go see a pelvic health PT to get some more help with this, uh, which lots of them did. I, it's so hard to answer this question of yours. Like, what do I wish yoga teachers knew? Um, I wish yoga teachers knew the statistics out there around pelvic health, like how many people are dealing with pelvic health issues and saying nothing um, or going to their general doctor who doesn't actually understand about pelvic health the way a pelvic health PT does. And even a PT, like a physiotherapist or physical therapist, isn't trained in pelvic health. They have to take specialized training and then they need to take more and more I was just shocked, you know, okay, I've had three babies. I studied anatomy in college. I studied anatomy and yoga teacher training, and no one told me these basic things about the body. And so, yeah, I just want to shout it from the rooftops, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand that. I When I read Bill Bryson's book, The Body, An Occupant's Guide, and it's like 800 plus pages and walks, each chapter has to do with one element of the body, like a whole chapter on um, the brain or the the eyes, the sense organs, all these different elements. And I just repetitively, it's like, what? How do I not know that? that? That's physically inside of me, part of me. It has functions, it, it has jobs, and it does something every single second of my life for me, but I know nothing about how it operates. Like it's nuts. It is. And we live in this body. Like it's one thing when we drive a car and we're like, yeah, it runs, you know, and it starts to make a noise. I take it to the mechanic, but we live in this body. We experience it. And to know, to really understand how your body works and functions, especially around the pelvis is very empowering. Yes. It's like life-changing for some people. Yeah. And what we talk about, I was I was reflecting, I think the most in yoga um, classes besides the breath, of course, we talk so much about the core, like activate your core, you know, brace your core, or we always are referring to what our core can give us. Um, so we very rarely mention the pelvic floor unless we're just, you know, briefly mentioning Muladhara Bandha and in that regard. So when you teach yoga, are you constantly referring to the pelvic floor and I also have this feeling that I've learned once that our pelvic um, floor is usually actually tensed. It's it's not very often that we're actually consciously relaxing it, and it should be relaxed more often. Is that something I'm making up? I'm so glad you asked this question. It's such a good question, and I want to tell you that this is why I started Pelvic Health Professionals, because there were questions like this, like, what are we doing when we say engage the core? Like, or, or even if we start to learn about the pelvic floor and we think, okay, how do we cue pelvic floor relaxation or engagement or why would we in a yoga class? These are the questions that I was having and I was asking experts and paying for their time on my own. And then that's when I thought, hey, wait a minute, we could come up with all of our questions as a group, as a collective hire pelvic health experts to come in and talk to us. And that's exactly what we do. And we have a call actually coming up tomorrow. <laughs> it'll be it'll be over and done with by the time this podcast comes up, where I've started to revisit my own thoughts and what I've been learning about the pelvic floor. So I want to say 10 years ago, 20 years ago, <laughs> I don't know. I can't say when Kegels came in and were started, but 
if if you've never heard of a Kegel, it's like engaging the pelvic floor. And a lot of people hear or they believe they read an article about how important it is to do your Kegels. Like some people say when you're sitting in your car, do your Kegels at a stoplight and please don't just take this blanket advice for the muscles of your pelvic floor. So I love that you brought up that the pelvic floor can be holding a lot of tension. There's actually some studies that have been done where people are exposed to different images that are stressful and the pelvic floor is the first muscle that engages and protects us and it makes sense, right? That's where we would guard. I mean, there's a lot contained around the pelvic area that we want to protect. And so when we are feeling a lot of stress in our life, we notice, okay, my shoulders are holding tension or maybe some part in my back or my jaw. Well, the pelvic floor is maybe not something that you notice where you're holding tension, but you are. And so overall, I would say then the message started to swing from okay, do Kegels because you need to strengthen your pelvic floor. And there's a lot of messages that came in around that that were not healthy, you know, like messages like you need to have a tighter pelvic floor so that your partner is more pleased during sex. Like these are, these are myths. (laughs) This is not the way sex works. And then swinging the other way, I've seen this and I've taught this, okay, we need to release and relax the pelvic floor as much as possible because as a society, we're we're stressed out, we're holding tension there. A pelvic floor that is holding a lot of tension doesn't work well either. And you, you know what? Honestly, I'm coming back to more and more, there's a middle ground. Like you can't strengthen your muscles all the time and that's the answer. You can't relax your muscles all the time and that's the answer. It's this balance of let's strengthen those muscles and let's also let them lengthen and relax so that they work effectively when we need them to because the pelvic floor needs to be able, if you think about all of the things that it does for you all day, one of the key things is When we laugh, when we cough, when we sneeze, when we jump, we don't want to be leaking urine or feces. And then when we go to the bathroom, we want to be able to release and relax the pelvic floor so we can easily go to the bathroom. That's one of the main functions uh, when we think about the pelvic floor, but there's actually five of them. (laughs) Go for it, Shannon. Let's hear the five. (laughs) I don't have my notes right in front of me. So I'm like, oh my gosh, do I have them all? I have an article and I can definitely send it to you where it goes more in depth. Uh, There's the stability that the pelvic floor provides. So when you talked about the core, that's the other thing. Don't let let me forget to come back to these five things. (laughs) But when we talk about, okay, you need to have a strong core or strengthen the core, that's another thing I want to start questioning. Like, what do we even mean about that? And we do know that the pelvic floor is, you know, supporting in many ways. It's supporting our balance. It's supporting our pelvic organs. So the bladder and the rectum are there. And in some humans, we also have a uterus sitting there as well. And it's all being supported by the pelvic floor. So we've got stability, support, sexual function for all genders is there. 
And I already mentioned that sphincteric, like we want the pelvic floor to be able to close (laughs) when, when we don't want to be going to the bathroom and then opening when we want to be going to the bathroom. And then the fifth is one that we don't often know about or talk about. That's the, this sump pump action. So when we breathe, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor both move down on the inhale and they move up on the exhale. And that's ideally, you know, how the pelvic floor and diaphragm move together. And when we start messing around with things, like let's say we wear really tight pants because we're trying to have skinnier looking waist, that can impact that. Or if we're hunched over all day working on our computer and we're not looking at the way we're sitting and our posture, that can impact that as well. And then this sump pump action can't work as well. And when that doesn't work as well, we might have more congestion in the pelvic area. So it's important that that is working together. So those are the five. And I always say like your pelvic floor is like a superhero. It has these five functions uh, that it does as well as there's like a, this is the thing. Once you start learning about it, you learn so much more. The sixth is, um, you know, that guarding, that protection that happens there as well. Uh, yeah, that's why it's important that I get you the article because it goes way more in depth on this. Oh, perfect. And when you send it to me, I'll make sure to link it here in the show notes. So all my listeners can check it out too. And the unsung, the unsung hero of the body. I feel like there's so many unsung heroes though. Like there's all these different elements. It's like the more I learn about my ear, the more I'm like, wait, that that's why it does that. Or that's how, that's why I actually get vertigo, um, is because my body thinks it's been poisoned and it knows that when I become dizzy, I could vomit and then it could evacuate the poison. It's like such a protective mess. Oh yeah. I love, I love the body. I'm, I'm similar to you. I'm, I totally geek out (laughs) over all these different things I, I learn and I love it. Um, so something I, I wanted to ask about Um, the pelvis and the pelvic health specifically is that whenever I'm just going about my day, typing on my computer, brushing my teeth, eating or whatever I'm doing, if I randomly will think about my pelvic floor, I notice it's tense and then I exhale, you know, and release it. It's like I never notice it being in a state of relaxation. I only notice the tension states um, because I've uh, did some meditation for relaxing the pelvic floor uh, about a month or two ago, and I loved it. And I thought, okay, I do think I need to relax this muscle more. I'm I'm have so much tension in it. Would you say that's just average in the Western world? This con- constant tension, like literally constant. That's such a good question. I don't know. There have been some studies done that are relating the pelvic floor holding a lot of tension to low back pain, Uh, but I don't know if we have any studies that look at overall are people holding less or, or too much tension, like not enough or too much tension in the pelvic floor. That's a great question. Generally, when I was working with people Uh, In the physio office, when we were back working in person, most of the people that I would work with, and maybe that's because I'm a yoga teacher and those were the people that the PTs were sending my way, those were the people that were typically holding a lot of tension in the pelvic floor. So I'm not sure that that, that's, that's not a scientific research study. 
It's just that I saw over and over again, people would be doing Kegels or trying different things to strengthen their core or strengthen their pelvic floor. And it was causing issues in their body. And so we would go through how to like release and relax the pelvic floor. And when you said, I exhale and I release my pelvic floor, I get that on a, because we do that a lot of the time in in yoga, we'll like say, inhale and like tighten the muscles around your shoulders. And then on the exhale, release them. I would be really tempted to say, try coming into table or child's pose and try to imagine the pelvic floor releasing on that inhale because that's that's typically where it releases down like physically it releases down oh yeah no I, I, it makes sense on the inhale with the diaphragm that's both relax it's relaxing it, it makes um it makes sense but it's more i think the conscious thing for me of the meditation on on the yes. exhale we're just like okay now i'm really i'm really relaxing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's the thing every body is different and it changes over time. I have friends who, you know, went to see the pelvic health PT, came went to like learned about yoga and how it helps with pelvic health and really moved to this place of okay, all I'm going to do is relax my pelvic floor. And those same people now are finding, you know what? I need some strengthening as well. I need to find this balance and this maintenance, uh, through life. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't make any blank blanket statement. And this is what bothers me, I guess. If I go to a yoga class and I hear someone say, engage your core or engage your pelvic floor. First of all, what are all of these people around me doing when that cue is given? And second of all, do they need to? So if you're noticing, okay, I'm holding tension in my pelvic floor all the time and I need to release it, probably the last thing you need in a yoga class is to be cued. Now, I say that, but I do know some PTs that use that engagement to help people to find that relaxation of the pelvic floor. So it's so complex. And here's the best thing that you could do. Go see a pelvic health PT who is well-trained in internal exams. It's not as bad as your pap um, exam, trust me, find one that you really connect well with, and they can let you know what's going on with your pelvic floor. If you have questions, they can also let you know about what's going on with so much, uh, in your pelvic area, as well as your whole, like how your whole posture is. And to me, it's the difference of, you know, would you go to your doctor if you had a toothache? No, you would go to a dentist. You would go to someone who specializes. And pelvic health PTs are amazing at the work that they do. So it's like, I feel like everyone needs to go see a pelvic health PT. So the pelvic region is where our root chakra lies, right? So I think it's even more important in a way to draw awareness to it and really understand it because it's like the source of where all of the energy lies. Do you talk, talk as well kind of about the chakra elements? Do you get into those subtler bodies or are we sticking with the science? Oh my gosh. I love looking at the subtle body and the mystery and, and how this all connects with, 
with yoga. So I'll just tell you my personal experience with the chakras. I went to a training. It was called Let Your Yoga Dance. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so much fun. Going to Costa Rica. I'm going to dance around in the jungles uh, with Mega, who was leading it then. I think she's still leading Let Your Yoga Dance. And we did the first chakra, which was it was so cool to really embody it. We we played like drumming tribal music. We got we were really low to the ground. We got into second chakra, you know, and I'm all still happy, you know, moving with this. We got into so second chakra was more flowy, hip moving. And third chakra, I was still <laughs> having a great day. We like did third chakra on the third day. And then I remember hitting this wall of boom, like moving from third chakra up higher for me was a real struggle. I I came to class that day. (laughs) I didn't want to do anything. I definitely think there's, you know, if, if anyone's ever done an experience like this, where you're really talking about your chakras and connecting with that energy, I, I definitely think there's something there. But I realized in that experience, okay, I'm I'm really comfortable floating around in my first three chakras. It's when we get up higher, closer to the heart where I was guarding and holding. So I would say for sure, look at um, look at that side of things. And the really cool thing that I started to realize when I learned about pelvic health, when I took different trainings, is how well it connected with yoga trainings that are maybe less rooted in science. So I would say for sure, look at these. Yeah. Cause the root chakra, um, you know, the, if you have a very healthy root chakra, you're going to experience good health, uh, vitality, you're going to feel grounded. You'll be comfortable, feel comfortable in your body. You could also have that sense of trust in the world, feelings of stability and safety, prosperity, the ability to relax. Like there's so many really amazing elements of all the chakras, but the root chakra, I think having this, the safety and stability, this sense of nourishment and home and health, it, it's so important to, to make sure you have a healthy pelvic area, which will only support the chakra. Um, I just definitely wanted to to touch into that for our listeners to make sure I just talked about what some of the elements of a of a balanced uh, characteristics of the Muladhara chakra was because I, when we're talking so much about the pelvic area, it of course just lights up in me. Okay, we should talk about the root, the root chakra as well. Um, but I would love to ask you, Shannon, other than pelvic health, what lights you up the most about yoga? I realize that I'm just a better version of myself, like a better parent, a better partner, a better friend. When I'm able to ask myself, you know, at least once a day, okay, what do I need today? That doesn't mean that it needs to be an hour and a half long practice where no one's interrupting me. These are hard things to find as a parent. Uh, and it doesn't mean that all of my thoughts go away as a business owner in that time. It's like in the messiness of life. And this is what I, I started to realize when I talked about walking outside or, you know, I find a lot of comfort in gardening and growing food. These types of things can be yoga and, and, 
especially I think connection to nature is one of mine that makes me feel really grounded. When I move away from those, because inevitably I do, usually around the change of the seasons, I struggle a little bit more. Like as we move into fall, I'm sitting back and thinking, like garden time is going to change. You know, I need to come back to a fall practice. I think having that, first of all, is my foundation, my grounding. And then second of all, what lights me up more, like immediately what I wanted to jump to was the connections that I make with people. And the, because I think that's definitely yoga when we are listening to people, when we're asking questions, when we are really working in relationship with people. So that that's in my personal life, but also in my business life. And I'm really lucky as a podcast host to be like, that's my job. I get to connect with people and ask them questions. That definitely lights me up. But if I don't have that like grounded in my self-care practice, in my yoga practice, I, I, it doesn't work the same. No, it, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't at all, does it? And I love that you brought up that yoga can be being outside and it can be being in nature. It's yoga isn't just time on the mat. I think that's such a a dangerous <laughs> assumption that people make when they're like, "Oh, did you do yoga today?" I'm like, "My asana practice or just me going about my life mindfully or my time in meditation or I spend 5 minutes every morning chanting om." Like, that's part of of yoga as well. I I'm glad you mentioned it that way. Yeah, and I also want to say that there have been times in my life where I did not think that. I used to think, okay, people are cheating when they say like everything is yoga <laughs> because I wanted this very disciplined practice. And I think there is some magic when we come to this like disciplined routine. But honestly, it was my friend Shara Carruthers who is also a yoga teacher and a podcaster who we were doing an interview and she said her practice is basically just pausing for a moment in the morning and saying, what do I need in this moment? And then it might just be five minutes. It might be lying on the floor for five minutes. It might be rolling around. It might be doing a longer practice, but that checking in, that was like, magic for me, adding that into my morning practice. So I would say find those pieces that really resonate with you. Sometimes it's journaling for me as well that really helps me to connect with that. Absolutely. So how about we spend a little time, Shannon, talking about niche work? I know your niche is pelvic health, but could we talk about why it's important for yoga teachers to choose a specialty? Since you're a consultant for yoga teachers, and I know niche work is one of your passions, I was hoping we could dive into it. For sure. I love talking about niche work. And I think it's important to say that it can be, it's different for everyone. I love that you said specialty because I like to talk about your specialty as a yoga teacher. And it's also pushes into some edges of discomfort for sure for everyone, no matter if you're a yoga teacher or a different entrepreneur, because I really do think that yoga teachers are running small businesses if they've decided or large businesses 
If a yoga teacher has decided, okay, I am going to share this with the world and somehow get paid for my time, you are running a business. <laughs> you are an entrepreneur. And to specialize, I learned the hard way. So I came out of yoga teacher training and was teaching, you know, at one point, like 16 classes a week, everything from baby and me to prenatal to hot flow to restorative yoga, like all in the same week, all variations of yoga. And I think my thought at the time was, well, I just want to share yoga with everyone. So when someone asked me in my prenatal class, I wish there was a class for babies and parents. I was like, sure, we'll invent one. We'll do this. I'll learn, even though there were no trainings at the time, uh, I'll learn how to teach this and make it my own, which I did, but I burnt myself right out with that schedule. So I was driving around to so many different studios. I was so, um, spread thin at that time. I was a single mom. I, you know, I raised my kids on my own for five years in that time. I had to make ends meet. And I was doing that by managing different studios. That's that's sort of what got me into consulting. Like I would work on websites, uh, doing many, many things to make ends meet. And it actually wasn't like this spread thin isn't effective. So teaching 16 different classes seems like, okay, now I have, you know, what's that saying? Like all my eggs in different baskets, but the more you can take off your plate and focus in on like take things off. So I was like, what class needs to go? Well, I got to the point of burnout. So a lot had to go off my plate in a hurry. And I do not suggest getting to that. I suggest yoga teachers looking at, or anyone, what would, what do I wish was off my plate right now? What would it look like? What would it feel like to take this away? And to do that for a while, and when when we are new yoga teachers, sometimes we just don't know. You know, we we jump into subbing a class for this person and teaching this class over here and following what people are asking for. But as you go and as you become a more experienced teacher, you're going to see, okay, I'm really passionate and curious about this thing over here. I want to learn more about that. I want to share that more in my classes. And you get to realize what your yoga isn't. You know, I know someone asked me once if I'll teach goat yoga. And I think goat yoga looks really fun, but I was like, no way. Like it, it feels to me like toddler yoga. I also don't like to teach toddler in me yoga. I do like toddlers. I just don't like to try and organize them in a yoga class. I... I know what I don't enjoy doing. Like I don't want goats climbing all over everyone in a class. It's, it doesn't feel comfortable for me. Would I go to a goat yoga class with a friend? Sure. It would be fun. It would be funny. I just don't want to be the one leading that. So when you start to realize, and there are some types of yoga where I think, no, I would never do this. Like I don't feel like I ever want to teach, you know, something that's like yoga that's fixated on making your body look a certain way. That's against all of my values. Are there people doing that? Yes. It's not, and it's okay 
to back away from those things and then stand in what you believe in as a yoga teacher. You know, some people think, well, I don't want to push people away. Really? I learned over the years, you you actually do want to. I don't want someone coming to my class that is thinks that all we're going to do is this sweaty workout. I, I really, that to me, that doesn't feel like yoga and it, and it takes a while to find this. So I'm, there's a lot of my own experience and judgment coming into this, but at the end of the day, what started to happen in my own business, in my own life, when I, when I took things off my plate was I started to actually make more money as a yoga teacher, have more students in my class that were really aligned with my values and how I wanted to share yoga. And it just, it opened the door to also sending people elsewhere. So when someone was like, Hey, I want to take a class that has goats. I'd be like, well, so-and-so down the street is doing that. Or, you know, I want a hot vinyasa flow. Well, I don't teach that, but this teacher over here does. And it makes it so that you're really collaborating with your peers, the professional peers around you as yoga teachers. That's a powerful community then. The more that you can kind of continue to direct people to other teachers like that, like that's such a gift of paying it forward. It is. It is such a gift when you can refer to other yoga teachers. And I think we can start to think of, oh gosh, if I refer people to them, I'm going to lose business. That's not what actually happens. What I saw, so I used to teach yoga for everybody was my class. And then I and then I thought, you know what? I really want to teach gentle yoga. So I switched the name to gentle yoga for everybody. <laughs> but then I thought, what I really am passionate about is pelvic health. And that was a hard transition for me. So instead, what I called the class was gentle yoga for hips and shoulders. So I thought everyone's coming to me telling me that they have hip pain, shoulder tension. Let's call it that. Even though I was basically teaching yoga for pelvic health to those people, I was afraid to call it that. I was afraid that if, as soon as I put that label on there, that I would have less people. Well, I didn't. I had way more people sign up when I finally took the plunge, named it yoga for pelvic health. It was 11, it was an 11 week series, which is the most I'd ever done. Mostly I was sticking around registered sessions of six to eight classes. And I thought, no, I want to do this for 11 weeks. I want people to sign up. It was $18 a person. And this was quite a while ago when I was teaching group classes and it was full. Like we had, our capacity was 20 people and I think we were at 18 and I was thinking that's a lot of people uh, to go through all of this with. And so I saw immediately when I started to niche down and this still happens, I'm still doing it. It is a process. So when you were reading my bio, I was like, oh, that's gone. I no longer lead mama nurture. I don't even teach prenatal yoga, anything at all. Uh, I recently let go of uh, teaching in person or online yoga for pelvic health to individuals. And that was really hard to let go. I love doing that work. But I realized the more I let go, the more I can focus on 
the podcast and on pelvic health professionals. So that's the other thing I want to say. You know, I do two things. I used to do many things. I am like, I have so many different passions. And so I know what it feels like to think, oh gosh, I I don't want to let this part go. You know, I really felt that around the prenatal yoga teacher training that Kim McDonald and I put together, Mama Nurture. I really did not want to let that go. I saw so much good coming out of that. But at the end of the day, you know, I knew something had to go for me to grow these other parts of my business. Does that does that answer that question? No, I think it absolutely does. It it's just such a struggle to surrender like that, to just let go and say, okay, okay, like, you know, take those metaphorical scissors and just snip things away. Um, I, I, I think it's very painful for people to let go of anything, really. I mean, we don't really want to let go of one old t-shirt <laughs> that we've turned into pajamas, do we? We, we are struggle with let, letting go. So I think that just seeing how you've done it and then continuing to say, you know what, I continue to let let go more and more and more so that I can be of even greater ser- service to the audience that really needs and really is reaching for this information. I think that's just so powerful, Shannon. Yeah. And the other liberating piece about this is that when you get in front of an audience, let's say on your social media, maybe you're on YouTube or like this today, the podcast, you know, you said to me or somewhere in my form, it was like, what, what, you know, what would you like to talk about or whatever the question was. And I know it's really easy. I talk about two things, pelvic health and niche work, (laughs) niching down and specializing. Those are the two things I talk about. And I talk about them over and over again. I probably could do a better job on my Instagram. I definitely talk about gardening on there as well, but I can't, I can't not do that. But (laughs) it makes it so easy. Let's say you're a yoga teacher who teaches about sleep. And how, and you might think, well, how many times can I tell people all the things that would help them to get better sleep? A lot. You could just continuously do it. And the thing that happens is when you talk about that thing over and over again, you get known for it. People start tagging you in social media posts. So this happens to me all the time. I get tagged for pelvic health topics. And that's what you want. You know, you want to be the yoga teacher that gets tagged for your specialty. I know who to tag when it comes to yoga for scoliosis. I'm going to tag my friend Christine. Uh, You know, if someone asked me recently, do you know a yoga teacher who teaches in two languages? Like, yep, I know who I'm going to tag for that. Like there are, it's, that's something magical that happens. Um, It makes it, it makes it so much simpler. So. Shannon, I like to ask every yoga teacher on my podcast, what is your definition of yoga? Gosh, what a good question this is. What is my definition of yoga? (laughs) So good. It's so hard for, I feel like there's this immense pressure. I mean, I want to say union because that's what we're taught. But I think it's going back to, I mean, definitely the union piece is there, but I would say my definition of yoga in my own experience, is that I am continuously forever the student. I feel more and more as I learn about yoga, I feel like I really don't know what yoga is. And I and that might seem scary to some people, 
it's a humbling place to be. But I think at the end of the day, that's really when you have way more questions than answers, it kind of lets the pressure off. It lets you explore a little bit more. It's like I am learning over and over again what yoga can be. And that's, you know, in part because I get to talk to amazing yoga teachers, yoga practitioners all the time on the podcast and get to see different perspectives of what what yoga is or where yoga came from or and but it's the unlearning part the the thinking i knew the answer and then having a question in my brain and and then needing to unlearn what i thought yoga was I think that's what's continuous for me and, and then weaving it into so many parts of my life, you know, like I said, with relationships, um, with my own self-care, it's so many things. It's so much. And there's no way that I can know like the full extent of yoga. I was just interviewing someone yesterday who was saying like yoga has been passed down for thousands of years. So for us to live, you know, let's say we live to be a hundred years old as humans. There's no way that we can understand yoga in the way that yoga itself um, is in its fullness. Very humbling place to come from. We will be students for the rest of our lives. And I say that over and over again. I am a student just like you. <laughs> I'm a teacher, but I'm definitely still a student. And my students are my teachers as well, right? It's just that cycle. It totally is. Oh, that's such a good place to be as well if we're all learning. Like one of my kids said to me something the other day, like, oh, I messed up on this. And I was like, really? That's all we're doing all the time as humans. We are just messing up you know, call it a mistake or a failure. I don't know. Those are pretty loaded words, but that's all we're doing all the time and unlearning and then learning something new. Yeah, absolutely. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about Canada. (laughs) Can you paint us a picture of the yoga scene in Canada as it was in the past and as it is now? Oh, I mean, again, I feel like, but I don't know. all of Canada and the yoga scene. I know such a small part of it, but hmm, where I am, I mean, I remember going to a yoga class in my early 20s. I'm 45 now. And it was just a girl's night out at some class at the library or something led by a teacher. Uh, We were giggling in the back. It was really new. It was... um, and where I live in Canada is kind of a conservative place. I say that and I realize that that's a different thing than a conservative place in the U.S. <laughs> um, we're pretty, Canada feels like a pretty liberal place up here uh, overall. When I was learning about yoga here in Canada, I did. I don't remember learning anything about cultural appropriation. South Asian yoga teachers and the history of yoga and how it was taken, stolen, uh, and how people in 
in, uh, let's say, India or other places where yoga was, where yoga originated from, actually were oppressed and not allowed to practice. So I didn't know any of the roots of yoga, and I think that's pretty standard for North American yoga teachers. And so yoga became this very whitewashed, watered-down thing here in North America. Now, I was lucky enough to study with a teacher whose teacher was from India and so I learned a lot about meditation and not, I, I didn't at first, I want to say meditation, the philosophy of yoga, mantra, you know, all of the subtle body stuff was all really, really there in my very first yoga teacher training. Shout out to Satdaram, who's a Kundalini yoga teacher still. But I also didn't learn the, you know, I didn't know anything about how there's also an imbalance of power in many of the yoga lineages as well. So I feel like there was this moment where I was like, yeah, yoga makes me feel so good. I don't know why I'm learning all these cool and weird things. And I think a lot of people were in that. And then we really westernized it. We made it into very much a practice about the body uh, and how the body looks. Like I think there's been this you know, this way that we have done a disservice to yoga because it's so much more than how your body looks or sweating out toxins, which is the total myth as well. <laughs> and so yoga went through a shift, you know, yoga teachers and myself included in those years started to feel like I want to break up with yoga. I, I want to throw this all away. I'm speaking from personal experience as well as talking with colleagues of mine, we started to see yoga injuries from, you know, repetitive strain injuries from doing 108 sun salutations. And, and now I think the yoga scene in Canada is coming along with the rest of North America in terms of, okay, let's look at all of the limbs of yoga, or, or maybe I'm an optimist and that's what I see. Let's look at how we can recenter South Asian yoga teachers. Let's look at how yoga was stolen and how people weren't allowed to practice. They would be, uh, it was illegal for them to practice this. And then we, and then we took it here. And how can we become educated in these things. So this is definitely what I'm seeing across the board when I talk to yoga teachers in general and still and still I have to look at the way I have talked about yoga or like not learned enough about Sanskrit or um did things like put on a bindi in a yoga teacher training because everyone else was. I have to look at those things and ask a lot of questions as a white North American yoga teacher with privilege. <laughs> I don't know if I'm answering your question. I'm like really going on a bit of a rant about North America, but I think that I think we're moving forward and moving away from, I hope, I hope that we are um, more into making yoga accessible, honoring the roots of yoga, teaching all of the eight limbs of yoga, you know, looking at the philosophy. It's just this rich uh, tradition with a million different elements that you can you can dig into, dive into, and so I just think it's it's exciting that more people are wanting to get deeper or or more curious about all the elements. That's what I I'm excited about. Yes, me too. I also think in Canada, you know, we do fun things like snowshoe yoga. 
you know, classes that are outside, classes that we have a lot of classes that are at people's homes or in church basements, or we've had to get really creative. It wasn't something where we, now I'm speaking more rural in the cities. Definitely we had studios, but I also want to say that there's some pretty cool and inventive ways that I see yoga teachers sharing yoga uh, here in Canada. And when I started teaching yoga, you know, I knew a, a handful of yoga teachers in my area, and now there's over a hundred yoga teachers in our two counties. I know because we have a Facebook group, uh, and it's just really amazing to see the variety and the spread of yoga for sure. Amazing. And so for just one minute, if someone had never heard of Canada before, like total newbie to the world of geography <laughs> and the world of uh, Canada. How would you just in one minute describe Canada? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked this question because when I go to the U.S., so we're, we're the northern neighbors for the U.S., when I go and visit U.S. friends, oftentimes there's like a map and it just kind of cuts off and and people say, and to the north or weather is coming down from the north. And I'm like, why aren't you showing <laughs> our country. So we're a very large country. I'm not great at geography, but over uh, on the west coast of British Columbia, I do know our Canadian geography pretty well because it's easier than the U.S. Uh, because we have 13 provinces and territories in Canada. Gosh, I hope I'm right on that. It changed while I was uh, somewhere in school. But I would just say there's just this vast um, area of Canada is a huge, huge, vast area. And even to the north, most Canadians don't realize like how huge our landmass is. Um, the difference, like a lot of people assume that Canada, we all, if they don't know, they think we all live in igloos. No, we have many different seasons of weather. We don't have snow all the time. Um, I do where I live, have a lot of snow, but there are, there are much more Northern places than me. Um, does that help? Or do you have more questions about Canada? Yes, we make maple syrup. Yes, we do have moose up here, not where I live. We have black bears where I am. What else do you want to know about Canada? Anything about the culture? Like, uh, I know we always say can Canadians are, are so the ni are nicer than the United States citizens. So <laughs> anything about culture or, or lifestyle or anything like that to comment on? Well, it's interesting because I live with someone from the U.S., so we actually get to know there are different culture things, which um, we didn't even realize were there. I remember going to visit the U.S. one time in this total stranger walked up to me and was like, how does it feel to live in a socialist country? And I was like, taken aback because I, we don't call ourselves that, but we do have free healthcare. Yeah, we're known for being nice. And <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, if you bump into a grumpy Canadian, I think, I think we're also just people. And you know what? The, the level of politeness is really amazing when you go to different places. Like where I live, it's very rural. And it's, it wouldn't, it, it's totally normal to like wave at someone, <laughs> drive by them or go over to your neighbor and ask for some flour if you're, if you've run out of some, like, I think, I think that's definitely there. Uh, and I also want to say that our culture is one that embraces diversity. 
you know, if you go to Toronto right now, which is really exciting, I think, as a white person, I'm the minority there now. And I think that gives us a lot of potential as a country. And Canada, overall, not everyone, but overall, embraces that. So that's exciting as well. And we have butter tarts here. As we, we like to eat a lot of sweet things. Nanaimo bars, butter tarts. In the U.S., you call them, you call Smarties. We call those rockets. There's all kinds of fun things <laughs> about Canada. Come and visit. Oh, I'm I'm glad we talked about that. <laughs> Good to always know the the status of the <laughs> treats <That's right. laughs> wherever we're going. Oh well, Shannon, thank you so much for joining me today. If our listeners want to get in touch, I'm going to have all of your links here in the show notes as well as on my website, wildyogatribe.com. And so, Shannon, is there anything else our listeners should know about getting in touch with you? Uh. I would say two places. If you're a yoga teacher and you just want to hear overall, you know, podcast to support you as a yoga teacher, head on over to the connectedyogateacher.com. And if you want to learn in depth about pelvic health, pelvic health professionals is the place to go. And there is some crossover as well. You will find lots of pelvic health podcasts happening on the podcast because I can't not talk about it over there as well. Thank you so much, Shannon, for joining me today. It has been a joy to be with you. It's been so fun to be here. Thank you so much for this. Uh, thank you for your podcast and all of the work that you do to put into this and to really highlight what yoga is like around the world. That's amazing. Thank you so much. My conversation with Shannon Crow was so informative as we took a deep dive into the world of pelvic health. I hope that this conversation made you curious about pelvic health, understanding how it works, what tension we carry there, and also maybe even about the root chakra. We talked about yoga in Canada being vast, but now the yoga scene in Canada kind of looking more to recenter and to really understand the roots of yoga with more education and ethical awareness. We also talked about niche work and why it's important for yoga teachers to find their specialties and also what that looked like for Shannon herself. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Yoga in Canada episode of the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast with Shannon Crow. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Be well. Feel like getting social? Connect with me and the Wild Yoga Tribe on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Head on over to thewildyogatribe.com to tap into some pretty awesome resources. Meditate with me on Insight Timer, a free app on Apple and Android devices, and join me for a yoga class on YouTube. Jazz up your week and get a bit of yoga in your life. Remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you feel called, please share this episode with someone that you think could benefit from it. Leaving a review would also be so appreciated. Thank you again, dear listener, for being with me. May your day be light and bright. May you be peaceful and happy and led on the right path, free of suffering and free of sorrow. Be well, dear one. Be well. Thank you.